Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and and Trish McGregor and our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Among them are Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, The Secrets of Spirit Communication, Sensing the Future, and, and Aliens in the Backyard. Our most recent book is called The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trisha's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's long-awaited seventh Indiana Jones novel, The Staff of Kings, is available in ebook and audio. Okay, our guest today is Alexis Brooks. Alexis is an award-winning broadcast journalist and host of the podcast Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. She's the author of Conscious Musing. A veteran of, journal of broadcast journalism since 1986, Alexis was simultaneously pursuing a track that would lead her to an intensive study of metaphysical, spiritual, and consciousness-related subjects, areas of inquiry that stem from her own extraordinary encounters that began as a child. Alexis has also been recognized, become recognized for her work within the field of ufology with emphasis on the ET contact experience report. Yay, Alexis, you're here. Welcome, Yay. Alexis. Among yeah. friends, it's a great thing. Right. How are you guys doing? Good. I love being with you. Yeah. So what I, have you a, gonna... I have a question right off the bat for uh -oh. her okay. about your childhood encounters. I thought, wait a minute, I don't remember hearing about this. Childhood encounters? Oh God. Yeah. With You're all the time, <laughs> with all the time that we have spent in discussion, Trish, you mean to tell me I've never dropped that on you? <laughs> no, you've told me, but you never gave me the details. You know, like I didn't know your age. Yeah, look, I think like so many others, uh, so many other individuals, childhood encounters are not atypical. You know, many young. Let's go to the whole imaginary friend thing. That happens to right. so many children. And invariably, you've got parents or, you know, uh, mothers, fathers saying, oh, you're just imagining things. You're, there's no imaginary friend. And yet, you know, we hear account after account of individuals who are giving as children explicit detail, not only on, quote, imaginary friends, but describing a grandmother or grandfather that they hadn't even seen when they, they hadn't been born yet. So I just want to set mm -hmm. the record straight that I don't think this is as much of an anomaly as one might think. But as for me, Trish and Rob, you know, um, I've been asked this question before, and I, I, I'm not going to say that my encounters were really way out there and all the time. But I had a proclivity toward precognition, as an example, premonition, precognition. They may be considered slightly different, but related. And um, as a child, I would say more as an adolescent and going into young adulthood, I would have a, a, a 
cavalcade of these incidents that would happen invariably before they would actually materialize, but they would materialize. Uh Um, So that would, I would say, be sort of a baseline for the type of phenomena that I was experiencing. Now, in terms of interacting with other beings, as an example, you know, I'm still trying to uncover what I think are probably unconscious memories that Mm -hmm. some kind of interaction was taking place. There's one I can tell you. I cannot nail the time nor my age. I can say it was before I was 13 because I recall that we had still lived in the Boston area, Boston proper. And I have a very blurry memory of being visited by what is classically referred to as a shadow person. Now, I did not know that term. Most people still don't that are visited by them. Uh And yet, as I became a researcher later on in life and started looking at some of the hallmarks associated with the classic shadow being, not the least of which is a shadow in one's doorway as an example, I would start to uncover memory, or I have been starting to uncover a really, really uh, vague memory of being visited by what appeared to be a man, uh, short hair, black face in a dashiki, an African dashiki, Mm. the truth. I would never recall the features of the face, but I remember this, this being coming to me, hovering over me, all of the things that we classically hear in a shadow being visit. And I'll tell you, you you probably recall uh, our late colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I miss her so much, who did stellar work in this area on what is the shadow being phenomenon. And moreover, is it related to the jinn? And uh, it was working with her probably at this point, a decade ago, that I had an epiphany one day. I, I think I was preparing to interview her on my show and I triggered the incident came back to me and I thought, oh, my God, this fits the hallmark of a shadow person account. And I'm, there are variations uh. of it. So that's one that I can say as a child, pre-teen, um, that I believe happened to me. Another, I will say. Let, let me just interrupt a second here. Couldn't that possibly have been like an ancestral visitation as well? Could have been. Because Could of have been. the dress, yeah. Could have been. Well, I've got a, you know, like so many of us, we're much. We've got, we're mixed with so many different things. Native American <laughs> is also a part of my heritage. My mother actually uh, believed herself to be visited by Native American at one point. And, and th- that's another story for another time. But yeah, could be. <laughs> we don't know. This is the thing. You know, when we, when we look at all of these interactions that individuals are having by certain types of entities, beings, or even other humans in the non-corporeal state, we have to ask the question, what is the association with me, the person that's having the experience and who I'm being visited by? So that's a good mm-hmm. question. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're a keynote speaker for Contact in the Desert coming up yes. June 2nd to 4th. Tell us Absolutely. about that. So excited for your, I'm sure your audience is uh, at least in part aware of Contact in the Desert. It's it's billed as, I think they bill it as the, um, the Woodstock, the, <laughs> the, the Woodstock of UFO conferences. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. been going on for a long time. And of course, because of the pandemic, it hasn't been live for four years. So oh. we're mm. all really excited to, to be back on board, not virtually, but in real life. And yes, I'm really excited that for the first time I have been asked to give a, a full lecture 
as well as a workshop, uh, the lecture on the second, and I'll be doing a really fun interactive workshop on the fourth. So just mm. really excited to be with all my my friends and buddies. Wish you guys are going to be there. We're going to yeah. be there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Maybe we'll come next year. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be, uh, as I said, doing a more of a lengthy presentation on Friday the 2nd, having to do with unconscious contact. Are you an experiencer and don't know it? Uh -huh. This has been a theme that I have been kind of chipping away at uh, for, I would say, at least five, six years. I thought, you know, as researchers, and I know you both know, you're always pondering what's possible. What's really going on here? What is the nature of reality? And what are the clues to this idea that we may be in contact with non-human intelligence? And so this is an idea that I started developing a theory around that uh, that contact may be far more ubiquitous, far more main, uh, mainstream, uh, widespread mm -hmm. than we know, uh, crossing all sorts of cultures, religions, historical um, periods, and perhaps the most unsuspecting of individuals we're talking the as an example, forgive me, the guys and the gals that want to watch football and drink beer and 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 watch Netflix <laughs> and do nothing else. All that's all fine. But what if they're experiencers too? And if so, how would how might we chip away at that and see, look at some clues as to uh where contact may be happening? So it's a pretty deep dive, the the presentation. Oh, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. think these you uh Alien contact or abductions are are random experiences, or are certain people targeted? That's a really deep question, Rob. <laughs> I don't think anything is random. I'll start with that. I don't yeah. think anything is random. I mean, I just agree. my our understanding of the universe. I always say universe finds a way to act on purpose, but it seems to be so convoluted as to how we understand what that purpose is. So. As far as randomness, no, I don't think it's random. The question is, if it's not random, then what is it and why are certain people targeted? But remember, in my thesis of unconscious contact, what I'm postulating is that um, if it's a ubiquitous phenomenon, then no one's targeted. Everybody may be having some form of contact. Uh -huh. The question then becomes, um, why is it that some people become aware of it? and get really entrenched in the experience of it where others are completely oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking about individuals that are doing anything but listening to podcasts like this or mine. Uh -huh. Maybe they're watching ancient aliens. That's the other thing you're seeing a lot more interest in the subject. This has been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. You guys yeah. know this as yeah. researchers. Yeah. So could we be living at a time where there's some triggers going on? Consciousness is expanding and people are starting to ask bigger questions. And as they go down their own process, maybe discovering something else is going on here. I think I may be having contact. I think one of yeah, the people, things people, people like Whitley, for one thing, you yeah. know, he really delve into his experience. His Absolutely. Experiences. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whitley is the, is the gold standard, I think, when it comes to yeah. uh, the, the, the phenomenon. And yet, and you know, I think we need to be so careful when we're even pondering such a thing because we tend to want to fit into a certain criteria as to how contact happens. But in my research, it seems that there are so many entry points, uh, which is what I'm going to be going into in the lecture, entry points that uh, have to do with strange phobias. We can talk about that if you'd like, to childhood trauma. And I mean human-caused childhood trauma is one mechanism by which contact may be more likely for some people. So yeah, it's pretty deep, pretty heavy. 
what about the aspect of uh, these con- uh, this contact these contacts being multi generational? That mm. seems to be a, a factor that uh, is coming out more. You know, I have been looking at this aspect, one of the many curious aspects to to the phenomenon. Uh, intergenerational contact and and what I find myself doing because you know I have no problem talking to people on the street. Hey, I'm a researcher, not quite like that. I'm a researcher <laughs> in the UFO field. I find myself getting into deep conversation with with the average person about these sorts of things, and invariably yeah. they will have a story to share with me. And on many occasions, I've had the opportunity to ask, "Hey, is this something that is in your family, your mother, father, whatever?" And you guys, more times than not, the answer is yes. So mm-hmm. I think that there is. Uh, it's not to say that contact is happening exclusively intergenerationally. Right. Yeah. And yet there seems to be some sort of uh, a legacy um, that can go back generations. In <clears throat> fact, not only on one side, maternal, but paternal as well. Mm-hmm. So then you go down the rabbit hole of, well, I wonder if, uh, you know, a man and wife is an example, a man and woman coming together, could that be, orchestrated because they're both, they both come from a lineage of contact and therefore will have offspring. So there's like, there's like a common thread. It seems throughout all of this. It's really fascinating. We met, we met a couple on this cruise we went on who they got married and neither one of them knew before that they had both been abducted at some point. So there she, you know, she definitely felt that it was the abduction that had pretty much brought them together. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm smiling about that now because as you all know, well, I know you guys know that I, I recently relocated to South Carolina from the Boston area. And uh, you know me, I love to talk. I've been meeting the neighbors, they're all great. And <laughs> neighbors right next door to me, you guys, told them what I do. You know, that this happens, I'm sure, to you guys all the what do you do? Journalists in what field? Okay. Both of them are abductees. Both of the oh, husband God. and wife right next door. I'm looking at their house. Well, their house is right there. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. funny. Now, like years ago, That's... probably 15, 20 years ago, I read that uh, research research that suggested that about 25 million people uh, worldwide had uh, acknowledged uh, abduction experiences. That's Those are just, just the ones that know about it. So that's right. if, if that's true, how many others do not know about it? Uh, that's the question. That is the question. And, and, yeah. So the the real question becomes, well, why is that? Why is it that some people are made to to know or to become conscious of their contact and and others that may never know consciously? And that's a question I certainly can't answer. But I do. Here's what I found in my research uh, in the last several years, at least, is that for whatever reason, there seems to be trigger points that are happening to people right now. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, look at what we've just been through. People uh, being forced to be isolated and being forced with their with their own thoughts and their own consciousness, that would be one, to ponder these big things. You know, there was actually some research done. I can't cite the organization, but during the pandemic, maybe even on the back end of it, that more people were having UFO sightings during the lockdown period. Well, of course, oh, that's are, interesting. Well, yeah, but the argument was, yeah. well, they've got more time to look up. That could very well be. <laughs> but the inclination to look up and and once they do, uh, perhaps having a sighting and sightings in and of themselves can be triggers for contact. So you've got mm. a whole bunch of things kind of 
coalescing, coming together. And look, I think, again, universe acting on purpose and us living, I believe, at a very pivotal time uh, are the veils of of uh, separation thinning, the veils between how we live in this world and all yeah. that exists outside of it coming together, which includes our own consciousness about our connection to the wider world. That may include contact. Yeah. So it's, it's well, that's what we wrote about the shift that we're undergoing a paradigm shift. It seems. Oh yeah. Consciousness. Oh, no question about it. For better or worse. For better but, or worse. So yeah. yeah. Yet there's some people who are like wearing blinders that aren't aware of it or don't want to be aware of it yeah. uh, of of contact. Even like uh, Trish and I had experience a couple of years ago where uh, we we had just gone to Barnes and Noble. We'd bought a uh, a book, uh, alien abduction book I'd never seen before and haven't seen it since, by the way, either, which is <laughs> odd. And huh. we, wa we walked outside in the parking lot and there was this object in the sky right above us hovering, uh, you know, maybe three, 400, 500 feet, uh, just a, like a bright light. And so there's people, we're standing there for five, 10 minutes watching it. And there's people walking by us nobody else looks up it's so strange. yeah it but is I, you know it's it's like they don't want to know <laughs> it's almost lack of curiosity though too you know what are those people looking at well i don't care <laughs> right well because there were other people that were looking up so it definitely caused well, it could have yeah, caused yeah. a scene but you're saying other people just didn't yeah it, they just did not look up yeah it's i yeah i think there are a lot of reasons for that dissonance could be one but i think that people are mm. also just so buried in their own their own stuff that yeah exactly they just don't care I, there's a lot of things but you know rob interesting you should bring that up because how many times have we heard cases of people having a ufo sighting let's say they're in their car on the highway and they look around and notice that no one else is seeing it and right. even cases of people that are maybe standing next to each other where one person is seeing an object and the other not and yeah. that i think that's a little bit more of an exotic situation if you will because it begs uh -huh. the question do these objects assuming they're they they are operated by some form of sentience or maybe sentient themselves have the ability to cloak themselves to certain people and be yeah. visible to others. And again, I I think what we need to look at, I have no idea what the answer is, but it seems that they're able to do that or some fact, some force is able to do that. Yeah, yeah it seems so, like cont contact is, uh, you know, somewhat nebulous that way. It, it's not really necessarily three-dimensional. Oh, uh, I don't think it's three-dimensional at all. Yeah, I think and, it can be, but it's yeah, not, that's not its origin. Right, yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. it's a... Uh, so interesting times, and not to mention, you know, this sort of mainstream buzz that's been going on. I think the, well, there've been iter different iterations or different cycles, news cycles of how the UFO slash UAP phenomenon mm. has has come front and center because of different things, not the least of which is the China, uh, Chinese, the so-called Chinese spy balloon, which by the yeah. way, was over my house. I saw it. Huh saw the Chinese spy balloon over my house. And about two hours later, it was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. So yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and, God. yeah. Oh yeah. No, did we it, saw did it looked like a balloon. 
Did it really look like a balloon? Yeah. It did. It. I mean, it was pretty high up, but we could we could see it quite clearly. And of course, I ran and got my binoculars. It was actually the neighbors <laughs> that are abductees or that had contact that rang my doorbell and said, there's a UFO out there. <laughs> Come on out. And so ran out. And I'm like, you guys, I think that's the China, China, the, the, the so-called China, surveillance Chinese. balloon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. But these news stories seem to beget coming back to this idea of uh, you know, from a mainstream perspective of visiting the very real possibility that uh-huh. UFOs slash UAPs are real. I believe there's another congressional hearing that either just took place or is about to, uh, uh, to discuss more efforts on the part of the Pentagon to examine what's happening here because more people are coming forward. So something's it's, happening. It's yeah. And it's all uh, in the mainstream. It's all about the hardware. They, uh, right. they don't right. get into who's, who's behind the operation. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they want to. I don't think, I don't think <laughs> they, want to. That's, well, that, they leave that to us, Rob. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the speculators. Well, nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had, yeah. We had one guest on the podcast, Dolly Saffron, who, who came on with Preston Denham. Yeah. And she believes that aliens have left the universe because the planet is about to suffer through catastrophic climate change hmm. and will basically render the planet uninhabitable. So has your research indicated something different? Well, you know, Trish, I haven't really approached it from that perspective. I mean, look, we've had throughout the course of history, ancient history, all of these sort of for um, foretellings of right. uh, of of, uh, of disasters and of end disaster of, end, of end of the world, yeah, end of the yeah. world, etc. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but interesting that she should say that she feels that the beings, some of them, have left the planet due to this. That I've never heard. I, I again, I don't know. Beings is what I say. What beings? Which beings? I think we're dealing with a spectrum. <laughs> we're dealing. Well, I do. Yeah, I, I think really so too. feel we're dealing with a spectrum of species, a spectrum of abilities, extra dimensional, extraterrestrial, interdimensional. There uh-huh. seems to be just a whole litany of intelligent life that we that, that's all around us. Spirit beings. You know, where where are those mm-hmm. lines of demarcation? So, if I, I mean, did she say w- what beings are leaving the planet? Not, she- not specifically, well, just the beings with which she's acquainted. The grays, right? mainly. The grays. But she sees the little grays are uh, like robots to these larger ones that are more human-like. I mean, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's speculated that there may be a, a dozen or more different variations of the grays i've interviewed quite a yeah. few individuals that believe to be uh, have been contacted by the little grays and of course uh, the question has come up or or the assumption has come up that they may be more of a ai driven entity rather than a, a, a synthetic rather than organic uh i don't know i don't have any <clears throat> speculation about that but i i mean look there have been stories of the beings that that are said to have shut down nuclear sites for fear of disaster to save the planet. Um, I don't know how interested they are in saving us, but rather saving the resources (laughs) that they must have some kind of hand in, it seems. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Go ahead, Trish. Well, I was going to say we met them for lunch and Dolly just, Dolly and Preston in Blue Ridge, Georgia. 
And she just talked on and on about this. And she said, within two years, she felt the shoots for the food shortages were going to be so severe mm. that from that point and eight, eight years forward, that basically life was going to be a struggle for survival. And I thought, uh, Okay. She's not the only one talking about that. I I mean, look, here's what I say as a, I think glass half full tend to be a glass half full person. All of this could be possible, but I think the beauty of our reality is that it's so plastic and so flexible that it can change. It's like going to a psychic and the psychic says something very, very ominous. Let's say something definitive is going to happen. Well, I don't know. I, you know, it, particularly if you are of the mindset of a holographic model of the universe, uh-huh. part of that model dictates fluidity and things never being set exactly. in stone, but the trajectory can be changed at any point in time, even though there may be a likelihood of a certain outcome. Uh, that, that's a very tricky thing. But uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly not resigned to that as an ending. And even if there is some sort of ending as we understand it to be, I look at reality as cyclical. So it's just going to rebirth itself. It's too smart yeah. not to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And suppose, well, and, and, and I, I'm sorry, just let me interject. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Is that uh, the, uh, I do have to mention that, that, you know, as human beings, one of the reasons we're at the top of the food chain is we're very adaptable. So let's hope we can come yeah. up with the technology to get through whatever's about. Whatever happens. So we've, we've, we've done pretty well so far. We'll see. I think it's happens. inner technology, John. I think that's what we're going to have to really. Yeah, I think it is too. The technology well, that's always been there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, well we're, in, we're adaptable in several ways. But, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So, so, oh, so, yeah. So internally and, but but can kind of shape shape the uh, environment around us apparently as uh as, as a is a plus if 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 we are going through a, a severe a severe a, a, a severure climate event but we'll see yeah. how it works out. yeah it's yeah. an exciting time i again i say it's an exciting time and uh the book that i wrote i was just listening to another interview that i did where i said oh my god i can't believe that book was written conscious musings five years ago it's 2014. <laughs> almost 10 years now. But in the book, I I have a chapter called Dichotomy of Consciousness and the Precipice of Change. And I I muse about this idea that when we get to the point of dichotomy, where all these really drastic but polar opposite things are happening at the same time, we're probably on the precipice of a a change in trajectory. And I think we're seeing that play out right now. So, you know, the worst you know, complete financial collapse, complete, you know, uh, earthly disasters, but also this consciousness expanding. And like you guys reference in your book, The Shift, that this is time for a, a not an end, a shift. Maybe we need yeah. these drastic things to happen in order to make a leap of evolution. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a hand in it too. We're like you said, John, we're adaptable. And I believe our consciousness is a lot more capable of creating and destroying than we give mm. ourselves credit for. So, yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, one of the interesting things <laughs> that Dolly talks about that I found fascinating is that she communicates with the craft itself. The craft is a conscious being. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's more than AI. It's, it's, uh, but, uh, she she communicates telepathically with the craft. It has a name, and uh, you know, 
maybe this that's the uh direction that uh we are heading with the with the expansion of ai i know you have some ideas about ai john that uh is that may not be as terrible as <laughs> some people think but uh, well, well well let me let me just interject there is that i think i think we're getting way ahead of ourselves that uh that we need to worry about the machines I'm much more worried about the people that are programming the AI. Than yeah. the AI so, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I, if, I, if I could just make a, a statement, uh, a yeah. Rob, not a statement, but a comment about your idea that this, uh, the woman that you recently interviewed has communicated with the craft itself. You know, this is something that is not uh, foreign to the ufology community right. conversation going right. on. The, the question is, are some, I have to pre preface some of these craft actually sentient in and of themselves. And right. as a matter mm -hmm. of fact, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times on the History Channel. Uh, I don't know if your audience knows that I'm a cast member for the show. The proof is out there. Uh, we're going into our fourth Great season. Show. Yay. <laughs> so excited. And I've covered a couple of stories on proof about this idea of what is called UFO mitosis. UFO mitosis is essentially this idea of uh, craft being some craft having a, a cellular structure and mm -hmm. are able mm -hmm. to uh, morph and split into smaller cellular structures. Well, right. when we're talking about the cells, the cells are alive. The cells are us. Um, yeah. and ergo, they are, they are sentient to an extent. So, you know, many people, uh, contactees as well as researchers believe that some of these craft do have the ability that they may not even be uh, being operated by beings as we understand them to right. be rather the craft are self uh self, are not only self learning but conscious in and of themselves right. yeah mm -hmm. and, and there's been quite a few sightings that i've heard of where people are watching what seems to be a large craft and suddenly it shoots apart, breaks apart into a number of pieces and mm -hmm. shoots off into different directions. And that's a mitosis. That would right. be indicative of yeah. what a mitosis is yeah. because that's the way a mitosis, a cellular mitosis behaves that way where it starts as sort of this one entity, but then in a way gives birth to or replicates. It's self-replicating. Now what's weird, where have we heard that self-replicating in AI, in the AI conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. It, that's a little creepy to me, actually, yeah. if it's AI-driven. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, Lexi, so, you mentioned these traumas. What Describe some of the traumas that people suffer, Well, at least that you know about the ones. It, in the lecture, I touch upon the idea of a correlation between childhood as an example, sexual abuse, not uh, having anything to do with the beings, so to speak, but could individuals, and it's very sad that the statistics back when I was doing my initial research are very alarming in terms of, in fact, I think I have some notes here that talk about it, but, um, oh gosh, one in four girls and one in six boys, it's said will be sexually abused before the age of 18. Oh. Let's just start with that. That's stunning. When I was developing uh, a talking point, I don't even want to say a thesis, but a talking point around this idea that could individuals that suffered childhood sexual abuse be more likely to have a contact encounter and the reasons behind that, you know, it was John, the late John Mack that actually researched this sexual mm -hmm. trauma or even ritual abuse and contact as some kind of a connect point. 
And it's very unclear. It's kind of a chicken and egg situation where you don't know whether the initial childhood trauma somehow made the brain more receptive to these experiences or in under hypnosis, it's been discovered in some cases that people that thought they were having an abduction encounter, it turned out to be a childhood sexual encounter that they masked as an abduction encounter. But so it's very gray. Forgive, Mm -hmm. Forgive the the pun very gray um yeah but that is something you know i gave this lecture initially in australia back in 2019 i can't believe I remember it. that yeah and you guys you know i hit on a lot of points in this presentation it's about an hour and a half good two really two hours but i only have 90 minutes but when i got to this section it struck a chord with a lot of people that was the part. Now, I do go into phobias. I go into debunkers as possible experiencers. Uh-huh. I go into you know all, all sorts of things, including the intergenerational link. Um, but when we got to the point of talking about how childhood trauma, and it looked, maybe it's not just sexual abuse. It could be someone who was incessantly beaten as a child. Yeah. There's trauma there. The brain is doing something to protect that child from the from the memory of that trauma, but maybe opening up vistas to allow otherworldly experiences to be more common, you know. That is really what struck a chord with people, that part of the presentation. So, well, there's still a lot of questions there. <clears throat> but the there but, was a woman in uh Aliens in the backyard, Deborah, who had been, you know, abused and not treated very nicely during her childhood. And she had all kinds of uh, encounters, including mm-hmm. she lost a pregnancy. Yeah. You know, wow. Well, yeah. that's yeah. another thing, you know, that's, all yeah. these things. That's a whole nother subject. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. nother subject. And yet they all seem to be related. They all seem yes, to be. They are. There's interrelatability into all these little nuggets of missing pregnancies, childhood trauma, right. you know, uh, et cetera, that, that have been linked to possible contact. Here's the other thing I want to stress. Um, we think of contact with, I call non-human intelligence, because I think there's a range of them as being one and the same as abduction. And I don't think that's the case where all abduction is a form of contact. Not all contact is abduction. I mean, you've got a lot of experiencers that say I was never abducted. This was an agreement uh, that, that, that I somehow (laughs) recalled having. And so I'm not being taken against my will. I'm interacting, but it's not an abduction. Abduction is associated more with being taken against your will and forced to do things that are against your will. So I think that needs to be clear as well. Yeah, I think the ex- experiencer is a more neutral term that could go yeah. either way, really. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, about the intergenerational thing, look at uh, Betty Hill's aunt. What's what's her? I can't remember her name. Well, Kathleen, her. Kathleen Martin Kathleen is the niece of Betty. Yes, Kathleen yeah. Martin. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Oh, the niece, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you're absolutely right. She is, uh, and she's gone on the record in, in, in great detail. Yeah excuse me, on her own contact encounters, the niece of Betty and Barney uh-huh. Hill. And we can look, take that, you guys, as an example. You have Betty and Barney Hill that were a married couple, and yet both of them mm-hmm. had, allegedly, this fantastically bizarre encounter in New Hampshire. Could Barney, could both Barney's side of the family and Betty's side of the family have had a lineage of contact encounters? That's what I've wondered. Right. You know? Yeah. One of the well, things I mean, so Barney, 
Barney never mentioned that, I don't think, but yeah. it's possible, certainly. It took, oh, it took them for a while to uh, come out in public about it because, uh, you know, they were both involved in the civil rights movement yes. and they didn't want to, their, uh, you know, the, to their status to be ruined by, you know, talking about uh, alien encounters that, you know, yeah. it, and so they were, they were slow to come out, but eventually it they had to, I think. Well, yeah. look, I mean, at the time, what what are we talking about? The, this was the sixties, right? Yeah. Right. The sixties, 65, I want to say Some, somewhere yeah. in the mid sixties, Yeah. never mind societal pressure on, you know, coming out with, with something like that, but there were an interracial yeah. couple. I mean, yeah, that exactly. in and of itself, they, I'm sure they got plenty of, flack if you will for 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 yeah. taking that leap but then you put that on top of it i can't imagine the pressure that was felt so yeah yeah, yeah. kathleen yeah. martin by the way does amazing does amazing work uh working with experiencers both at mufon and also uh she she's done a lot of work with the free organization which is now renamed the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters huh. which is now another version of that but the work is still going on so I really enjoyed talking to her. She's very informative and you know, oh yeah, quick to respond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Some more on these phobias. Uh, you talk about uh, now. Ever since I was a kid, I've never cared for clowns very much, and I think that's ah. one of the uh, phobias that uh, has been recognized. Uh, absolutely, coolrophobia. You're a coolrophobiac. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Cool rephobia, C O U L R A phobia. Cool rephobia. Yeah. I know the new name for you, Rob. Cool rephobia. Cool rephobia. And before you go into it, let me explain. And then we moved to Wellington here. And one of the first things we find out is there was a clown murderer here who was on the loose. Oh. Are you kidding? That's. This person came to the woman's door with flowers. And uh, she opened the door, uh, uh, answered, and she handed uh, the clown handed her flowers, and right behind it was a gun, and just oh, shot her and killed my. her. And and that yeah. was going on for like thirty years. They finally uh, was they that finally... made into a television. I just saw something. Uh, it may have been. It, it may have been a. I know it's probably been a documentary because it's such right. a strange case, and uh, it was a cold case for a long time here in Wellington, and it was a, it was another woman who. Uh, uh, was involved. I so think she was having was an affair with the woman's uh, husband too. My that God. was the motive, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll yeah. say this: that's the any I, anyhow. I, so that was kind of funny moving here, and then that's uh, not funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's not funny. At all. Yeah. That's really creepy. Well, you know, look. As I dug into, I'm calling them strange phobias that could, and I have to stress, could be linked in some cases to what we call abduction or contact. Uh, you have to take into account that there could be so many different, so so much impetus for where these phobias are coming from. Not the least of which is this, you know, this attachment to clowns being creepy. They, yeah. they, I mean, they can be creepy. Where, where did that come from? Why would someone dress up that in came a clown Stephen costume? King? <laughs> yes, Stephen King's book. Absolutely that didn't help. Well, yeah. I did some research on the whole coolerophobia thing, and I, I'm trying to think of the organization that did the research. I can't because there's been so many, but they cited, you know, uh, kind of loosely associating clowns with surprise and unpredictability you know a clown popping out of a box a jack-in-the-box yeah, sort of right. thing as a child that might startle or frighten you i mean that's yeah. kind of a 
very, very simplistic look. But I, my my idea is, well, let me go back a little bit because each phobia I think has a different entry point. As far as coulrophobia is concerned, and I'm going to give credit to Mary Rodwell, who's a fellow researcher in this field and regression therapist. She's fabulous. And it was she who uh, brought this to my attention as she has regressed probably about a thousand or more people at this point. And in one or more cases, she has had individuals under regression who believe that they may have had contact, but in the initial regression, they believe themselves as an example, as they're describing what is a being, they describe them as a clown. I see big, uh-huh. you know, big, uh, the, you know, the crazy shoes that they wear. I see a big red right, nose. Right. I see, a, you know, the, the purple hair, whatever. And in one particular case that I cite, she regressed someone who I think had a motorcycle accident. And, but there was a point of missing time, which he felt something else may have happened. And she regressed him. And he was one that described, okay, she said, well, okay, what are you seeing now? I see uh, clown shoes. She says, look a little closer. She had a feeling he God. that was not really what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and invariably he described, let's just say, what looked to be a gray. Now she has uh-huh. come up with the term or she has used the term screen memory mm-hmm, as right. a, a possible <clears throat> thing that happens to some experiencers that we don't know who's doing the screening. Is it the being themselves that's screening to keep the the calm of the of the uh, the contactee? Is it our own brain that is so intelligent that it knows how? Just like with trauma, yeah. it knows how to shut the 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 the. I mean, think about what some of these beings are said to look like. Something that many of us wouldn't even be able to process. And so, could it be our own brains that's masking into something that's a little bit more familiar? But yeah. In the unconscious experiencer, they will not be aware of their contact, but instead be freaking totally afraid of clowns. (laughs) So they'll never get to the root of what what that was. They're not really afraid of the clown, but the clown, because it wasn't a clown, it may have been a being. So that's really sort of the entry point I go into there. But there are other phobias. If you want, Rob, I can talk about those that that I look at. Yeah, uh, first, let's uh, the screen uh, memory thing is interesting. Because- well, John Mack talks about that, and so does uh, Whitley. Yes, the Whitley screen- has talked about screen yeah. memory. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm also thinking, Trish, about the the story that uh, Deborah told us. Uh, she uh, she which is, one? <laughs> okay, so she has been abducted a number of times, and one of these experiences was after she had gone to a Guns N' Roses concert. And when she was mm. taken aboard, right. who, who does she see in the craft but Axel Rose? <laughs> and she she points at him says, what's he doing here? And the, the answer tele- telepathically to her was, oh, we thought you liked him. And then the being turned into a gray. Yeah. Why do I feel like, Rob, you told me that story before? Some Somebody, maybe it was a or, show. Well, it's I mean, in Aliens in the Backyard. Ah. Yeah, that's, okay. yeah, that's yeah. probably why. <laughs> Well, you know, the the screen memory phenomenon is something that is also quite common in the abduction syndrome. Uh, the the question I have is, who's doing the the screening? Is it coming from right. the being themselves? When in, in the case that you just told of the Guns and Roses, Axel Rose, they were able to right. sort of shape shift, uh, you know, an entity into, you know, a popular, you know, pop star or whatever. So yeah, it, 
And yet I don't underestimate our own capacity to uh, sort of morph what the brain does not want to see or the conscious mind can't handle into something else. I mean, l- let's look at the dreamscape, which of which you guys are intimately yeah. familiar with. You've written about it so much and how metaphorical dreams can be where many times messages are masked as something that knows how to get our attention. And yet it may not be that. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's a scenario right. or a person even. So, you know, I, I give ourselves a lot of credit for having that ability to screen what we don't need to see at the time. And maybe it's a cooperation between the being and us, but either way, yeah, I maybe so. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned uh, this man who was healed by aliens. I mean, we've heard this from Preston too. Mm-hmm. Um, t- t- tell us about that. You don't have to say his name if you don't no, want to. No, I can't because he's talked he's I, talked about it publicly. I, I sure can. Oh, okay. Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, he happens to be a, a regular on Ancient Aliens, as a matter of fact, and he's done some stellar work. He's a you know uh, best-selling author. He's written about uh, aliens in the Bible, uh, but he is also an experiencer. He doesn't really talk about it that much on Ancient Aliens, but Michael uh, tells a story, and I think he may have written about it, in which he had a, a pretty uh, serious blood clot situation. I don't know in which leg, but it was it got so intense that he said his leg blew up like LeBron James and he was driving and he just noticed his leg had literally just blown up. So of course he went to the doctor. The doctor says you need intervention immediately. And they prepared to do whatever procedure they were going to do. But in the interim, now he had had experiences prior to, he's been having them probably most of his life, but he, and I don't know if I'm going to get all the details right, but he said to have was visited by a being, I'd like to describe the being, but I can't quite remember whether it was a blue being, a very odd looking creature, not a gray, not a gray. I know that very large, very almost Hulk-like muscular came into his bedroom and, and he saw a blue beam come out of the being and into his abdomen, I believe. Wow. Michael, if you're listening, I hope I'm getting it right. But the gist of it is (laughs) the next morning, the blood clot was gone. His leg was back to normal. He went to the doctor. The doctor obviously was confounded and said, it's gone. Mm. He believes that, uh, as a matter of fact, I can send you guys a link to where he talks about it, where I interviewed I'd love him. to see that. Yeah. yeah. See well, that. we have the conversation. He says, those beings hooked me up. <laughs> they hooked <laughs> him up. They, they healed him. <laughs> they healed him. So yeah, there are those accounts. But like you and I were talking, Trish, why isn't this for everyone? You know, I know. Like, yeah, you call them on demand. You know. Yeah, so, and they, they well, sometimes they sometimes apparently don't uh, want to or are unable to heal everything because uh, remember Deborah's story about right that Trish, some things uh, are genetic. Right. She she had trouble yeah. uh, walking uh, upstairs because of her knee, and they said well, we can take care of that, and they healed her knee. But then she she has this. Uh, uh, it's an underlying immunity condition, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, and they said that's genetic. That's that's genetic, or that's uh, yeah. We can't uh, we can't deal with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe they feel because, that you know the prime. What's it called? Prime directive or a prime directive, right. or not non interference? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, that you're supposed to deal with it. to fix it, but they're not to to do that. Who's no. to say? You know, I had I had two experiences, Alexa, that have always perplexed me and delighted me one was nancy picard and i went to an eric oh we had just read this book 
by a chiropractor, Eric Pearl, Pearl, and went to one of his workshops where he was, he was a chiropractor, but he had developed a technique for. for I know Eric Pearl. Yeah, I know his work. The reconnection. It's called the reconnection. reconnection. That's it. And so during the session, I was paired up with a woman I didn't know. And she started working on me. And all of a sudden, at the top of my head, I saw that there was a beam of light that went out of the top of my head through the ceiling. And at the top, I saw three little alien faces peering down, just kind of watching. Really? Like they were curious about what was going on. Now, they came back one other time in 2005. Uh, during her, one of the hurricanes, I was laying Katrina. in bed thinking, oh my God, my house. No, I don't know. No, it wasn't Katrina. We, we didn't get Katrina. No? Francis. Oh. Or, no. Okay. That was Louisiana. Um, right, right. And I was laying there thinking, oh my God, the house is going to blow away. And then all of a sudden I just fell asleep and I saw that. And no, I suddenly saw them again. And it was like very calming. And I immediately fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and the hurricane was gone. Wow. So I'm wondering if I- You're a witness. On these, yeah. I mean, to something, you know, Call I thought they were, I'm going to, I'm going Absolutely. to, well, I'll, okay, I'll, I got an ankle. You can heal. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Put it out there. And look, I, again, we, we tend to want to put, you know, these experiences and the, these entities in nice, neat little scenario baskets, the angels are this and the, you know, yeah. orbs are this and demons are this and, and, and shadow people are this and, and aliens are this, the, the there's something connected to there's some commonality between all of them, whether it is their, their spiritual acuity or their, yeah, their spiritual acuity, their technological acuity. There's something that they know that we don't, that they use that we don't and call on who was I listening to just the other day that said, when I am looking for guidance, uh, I call on, Whoever is listening that is available for my highest good. It may be the archangels. It could be, you know, God itself, whatever. It, I don't even know that it matters. Don't even, and it may actually do us injustice when we have a specific, no, it has to be Archangel Michael. If we're being watched and looked over by all different kinds of beings, call on that which is suited to you and suited to your needs uh, bottom line is you're open uh, to it you're open you're already yeah, i am yeah and not only are you open to it but i mean you have experiences both you and rob my god mm. uh, unbelievable just so so uh alexis do uh, people who have these phobias and uh there are some strange phobias that you talk about like a uh, phobia of sunflower seeds yes. sunflower, sunflower <laughs> plants which uh seems pretty odd uh do you do you, uh how uh are they associated can they be associated with uh experiencer contacts i mean wh- mm-hmm. what's the connection because okay. people can have phobias without the experiencer contact. Oh, well, there's no right? well. I, I make that very clear like, that in yeah. many cases it could have nothing to do with it. I'm just saying that yeah. there there could be some link. Well, as far as helianthophobia, <clears throat> which is believe it or not a bona fide phobia, a fear of sunflowers. <laughs> what started me on That's this so track? <laughs> what started me on this track is a dear friend of mine, my best friend, as a matter of fact, who told me that she had a fear of sunflowers. I said, "What do you mean a fear?" She said, well, as an example, a friend of mine one day brought me as a house gift, a, you know, a bouquet of sunflowers. And I I almost 
lost it. I mean, she was, you know, she didn't want to hurt her feelings, but she has utter fear of sunflowers. Now I happen to know that this individual also has had a ton of, um, encounters of different kinds throughout her life. I also Uh believe she has a lineage of this. And as I looked into this, I thought, my goodness, you know, when you look at a sunflower's construction, particularly the ones that are large, (laughs) some of them can be over a foot long in diameter. Mm -hmm. What do you see? You see almost like this black eye, Uh often associated or could be associated with the the big round eyes of a gray, uh, as an example, and other species that have been that have been described as having really, really dark, almost like saucer eyes. Mm -hmm. And also when you look at the circumference of the sunflower, it could resemble craft itself. Hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't take these things in isolation and I'm not making the proclamation that they are absolutely connected to contact. I'm saying it's curious. Here's the other curious thing. My friend, and then I looked it up, by the way, helianthophobia is quite common. More common than we know. Helianthophobia, fear of sunflowers. Huh. She also has an utter fear of satellites. Hmm. Oh, wow. (laughs) And a fear of clowns. Hmm. So, well, knowing that your phobia is alien related, is that a better situation or a worse? (laughs) Knowing versus not knowing? Huh. It depends on the person, I would say. (laughs) You know, as an example, I said to my friend, you know, have you considered the idea that you may be, ha- you may have had some contact encounters. And she says, I have indeed. Uh, I mean, she's also had several OBEs. She's had a whole litany of things that have happened. Look, I take, whenever I'm looking at a case or a set of cases, you can't look at any, you guys know as researchers, <clears throat> you can't take anything in isolation. You have to look right. at a collection of things. You you have to take timing into account. Association lineage is an example, intergenerational link possibly into account. All you you bring together a whole uh, basket full, if you will, of things that to the point where you can't ignore it and say, there's got to be something going on here. You're looking for patterns. They're patterns. There's no question that they're patterns. But you know, what's so difficult with, really trying to get to the bottom of the uh, the contact uh you know phenomenon the abduction syndrome and the fact that we may be living amongst these beings and they amongst us what makes it so difficult is when you're taking a scientific approach the first thing that they're looking for is to replicate replicate you've got to do controlled right. experiments it's just not that that protocol is not going to be applicable here it's no. going to be based on anecdote and commonalities within those anecdotes among a whole set of other very stringent criteria. So in doing this research for me, again, I always say the disclaimer, there's no way I'm ever going to say definitively, this is definitely what's going on. I do think it's definitely worth exploring though. Yeah. I don't think that you can just, I mean, many scientists dismiss anecdotal evidence as irrelevant. Oh, most do. But I, I, yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous because that's where you start, you know? Well, you know, here's where quantum theory becomes sort of the hero in all of this, not necessarily as it relates to contact, but let's just take something like ESP or uh, mind over matter, which is a a part of the the whole ESP phenomenon. What they're finding, and you guys know this, when examining the behavior of subatomic particles, 
they're finding at a micro level that that behavior is mimicking some of the things that could make something like a mind over matter psychokinesis possible. So quantum theory in some cases has helped to proliferate that conversation to say, hey, this could be, if it's possible on a micro level, it could be possible on a macro level. Mm -hmm. You know, remote viewing is another example, you know, uh, non-local communication or being able to see non-locally. You know, there, there have been many experiments done at the quantum, from a quantum perspective that have shown non-local connection between uh, subatomic particles. So that's the only, us humans, we need that proof, proof, proof. At least we have that that's kind of uh, breaking that glass ceiling a little bit, I think. We know, I mean, J.B. Ryan, when he started his research at at Duke, he started based on anecdotal evidence. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it starts. It always starts with anecdote because people tell yeah. stories and, and the, the, the scientific That's mind right. says, okay, let's see if we can meet this out and come up with some evidence to, to support right. it. Yeah. The what Ryan about, Institute is amazing. Uh, what about hypnotic yeah. regressions? That's another thing that's been, uh, 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 scientists have uh, suggested it, it's there. Well, John Mack used it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's also uh, the suggestion that the, they're they're looking the regressor is looking for absolutely well not all not all regression is created equal and there's a lot of controversy in terms of a legit that's like saying you know a a legitimate hypnotist you know are they are they offering suggestion are they planting the suggestion in asking the 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 leading questions and you know it's interesting you bring that up rob because the late bud hopkins who i know you know Uh knew his work um a lot of people I mean, he had his issues and he had his detractors, but a lot of people appreciated the fact that he wasn't leading in his approach where others, and I can't call any offhand, but some others will ask questions that might lead the uh, the patient or the client down, uh, down a a road that would, uh, that would instigate or perturb an answer that could or may or may not be accurate. So, I mean, I know, look, the 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 hardened scientist is going to say, ah, poo-poo hypnotherapy, poo-poo all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And John Mack got hella grief for daring to go down that rabbit hole while at yeah. Harvard. God bless him and his courage there. Yeah. You know, I'm actually um, in touch with, she's actually a member of my, my uh, Higher Journeys community who was regressed repeatedly by John Mack. I'm not going to oh, mention wow. her name because she she gave me she actually gave me a tape of one of their sessions. Oh, fantastic! That I have. Huh. She trusted me and gave me that tape. It's probably a good hour, two of them, I think, a good one and a half to two hours long of John Mack in his voice regressing her as a young woman. Wow. I have that. Yeah, quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah he was heard- great. Uh, have you heard any examples of people with these phobias being regressed uh, and uh, coming Who? up with people uh, with the phobias, people um, with phobias oh. being regressed? Well, you know, off the bat, no, but I can say that to to my dear friend who, you know, I approached her and said, would you be willing to be regressed? Because I think you've got something happening here. Not just the one, the sunflower thing, the whole yeah. collection of features that she that that is her life she said yeah so so the question is should you be regressed if you're having i mean look i don't think it's for everyone Mm -hmm. um i don't know 
I don't know that individuals that have these phobias, many of them don't even want to know what the origin of it is. Yeah. And they may find it it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's that's a good question, Rob. I can't, I, let me think about that in terms yeah. of people that have had <laughs> phobias. Yeah. I do go into, I, I interviewed quite a few people for my my presentation. Um, and one individual who's an experiencer tells the story of going to a Halloween party in which he wore an alien mask. This is many years ago. Goes to the party, he's wearing an alien mask. And he said the response that he got from people ranged from people running away from him <laughs> questioning why he was wearing that and even a few stories this is a halloween party of regular people several people took him aside and said the reason why this is creeping me out is because i think i've had contact yeah so yeah. you know yeah. triggers is another thing people having triggers and the things that may be triggering them where they're not looking for it but yeah. they're having these it's kind of like remembering a dream all of a sudden out of the blue, something might say, somebody uh-huh. might say one word and it will open up the floodgates of recall. That's yeah. happening. I think a lot with people as well. Yeah. We had, we had a friend of ours who is uh hypnotized I was just thinking by that. Berthold Schwartz, uh, who is deceased now. Uh, he was up in Vero beach, Florida. And uh, I took him up there and went through this whole experience with him and he just broke down. And uh, what, what, what his experience was that he was going to a, uh, ha- a Halloween party and uh, he was dressed as a pirate and his buddy was dressed as a clown and they were abducted. And what happened is they were, uh, there was a number of people who were abducted and they're all waiting in line outside this craft. And here's this guy dressed as a clown and another guy <laughs> is a pi- pirate waiting in line. And all these other people, you know, they're just standing there, not reacting at all to the, you know, to the, to, to the, the appearance of the other pe- these two guys in the line. So they're, mm-hmm. they're all, you know, something has happened to all of them and, the, you know, they're uh, being taken aboard this craft. And uh, and you know, he goes into detail about uh, seeing writing on the wall in this craft. And he would uh, it, it, was, it was really fascinating. That but was, it was fascinating. Very, yeah. very, very. That dramatic. is fascinating. Absolutely. Well, that reminds me of a book that I also mentioned in the lecture. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the book called Connections by Anna Jamerson. I believe that it was actually a pseudonym. She did not want to put her real name out at the time. Oh. It was co-written by uh, the the name that was used was Beth something. I think Beth Collins. Connections. Connections. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy to find book. It's been out for quite a while. <clears throat> but I used that book um, as part of my research for the lecture when I first did it and what she, among other things, this is really about their journey into finding out they suspected that they were having contact encounters after they met. I believe one of them owned a ranch or a horse farm and the other came to work at the farm and through their getting to know each other, they had a feeling that something, there was a connection between the two of them that they couldn't quite figure out. Well, this led them down a, a literal rabbit hole of finding out that not only were they having contact encounters where they were on board craft together, but Anna Jamerson tells about being on board a craft one time and seeing two to 300 other human beings on the craft, several of which she recognized like her veterinarian, a coworker, a student from high school that she had known. 
So this this phenomenon huh. of again going back to how common is contact and are there right. are scores of people that are completely uh, uh, not aware of having contact encounters and yet through th- these handful of individuals that are having recall <clears throat> of their own uh, choice find out that they're running into hundreds of people that they know while on board craft and that reminds me of the story uh, you told, Rob. Right. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. And, um, and, and I think I'm going to have to play the part of Nigel because I think Nigel's internal clock yeah. is off today because right, yeah. uh, we're a little yeah. over. We're, yeah, we're, you you we're know, you know why? What's it's that? raining. It's raining. It's raining. And he knows okay. that means yeah, he, he knows this park. It's yeah. raining here too. And, and, uh, and, and I mean, I think if, uh, and Alexis, if you've got time, we'll keep going. But, uh, but uh, I think you guys could talk all day. Right, yeah. We could, yeah, so we too. do, <laughs> and we have. No, unfortunately, yeah. I'm going to have to go because I've got to get ready to do this presentation. <laughs> yeah, but it. it's yeah. been really great. Yeah, I, I have one oh, final question. Okay. One final question. Are you aware of any abduction experiences, experiencer experiences in the last five years? Oh, absolutely. You have? Okay. okay. That's yeah. interesting. Because Dolly, is, yes. one of the things, well, yeah, one of the things, things Whitley told us was that he didn't think abductions were happening. This yeah, and same with Dolly data. said this. Dolly said the same thing yeah. that they're, they're not happening anymore. There's a split. There's a split on opinion of that. I mean, I personally have talked to individuals, never mind within the last five years, but within the last year, ah, who okay. are, yeah. are telling me of their uh, the, the contact. I don't want to say abduction. Let's just call it loosely contact encounters. Right, right. I'm not going to argue as to whether they're happening more or not. I think some of it could be just recall of experiences. But yes, I, yeah. I do believe they're still happening. Okay. Yeah. Something's happening. That's yeah. too. Okay, very interesting. Thank mm. you very much. Thank Alexis. you. Wow, Alexis. We'll send and it's going up tonight, right, John? It 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 is. John? Correct. Okay. That's true. Great. Yep. So we'll send you the link. Sounds good. And and so Alexis, uh contact... you and I need to meet soon. <laughs> Are we still on the record here or, or no? Yeah, we're still recording because I oh, mentioned okay. contact in the desert. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. June, June I can't 2nd, swear. I'm kidding. <laughs> June, June June 2nd through 4th. And Alexis, do you uh do you know uh do you have more than one uh what's your schedule as far as uh, Oh on, on Friday, June 2nd, I will be doing unconscious contact. Are you an experiencer and don't know it? That's supposed to be a fairly well attended uh lecture. And then on Sunday, I will be doing a really fun well i say fun it'll be interactive a workshop called beyond uh, between two worlds how to integrate your contact into day-to-day life we're going to be dealing with the 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 pro- you know problem and solution problem being people not being able to reconcile uh, having these encounters and having to go to work the next day and act like everything's yeah. fine and dandy. Right. That's yeah. a big issue. So I've, I've actually developed a protocol uh, where I'll be doing it. It's not a meditation. It's more of an exercise that will help strengthen your ability to have a foot planted in two worlds and still be able to function. Right. <laughs> so huh. that's on Sunday. That's on the fourth. And then I'll yeah. have a booth there and I'll be saying hi to some folks that, uh, that I'm looking forward to seeing. So. Okay, great. Give us your uh, website info too, so we can have that on. Higherjourneys.com is where you can find me online. And of course, my YouTube channel, uh, uh, Higher Journeys with Alexis Brexto. Yeah. And and the proof is out there. Yay. The proof is out there (laughs) on the History Channel. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. 
Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.